This podcast contains content and language not suitable for some listeners. Welcome to Oddities and Curiosities, a podcast about murder, the paranormal, and other oddities sure to pique your curiosity. We are Amanda and Brittany. Hello, hello. Hi. How are you over there? I'm okay. You're okay? Just I'm okay. okay? Yeah. Well, I'm good. I'm not going to lie to the people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. Okay. It's fine. Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm just a dumpster fire. It's fine. Those are fun. Mm, are they, though? Yeah, I mean, are you they? can get some heat off of them. Make you, maybe cook you a little rat or a frog or, or something. Wow. Okay. (laughs) This is going off the rails quick. If I'm enjoying a dumpster fire, I am in some hard times, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Is is what the image in my head was. Okay. It is episode 98. (laughs) Is it 98? Yes. I have no clue. (laughs) As Brittany just Uh sits with her head in her hand over there. Yep. This is how we do it. It's Friday night. night. (laughs) And I feel all right. I'm not singing this episode. (laughs) Nope. Not doing it. (laughs) Because it stays in now. Mm -hmm. So. Well, she's right. It is episode 98. What are we doing? Hiking accidents. Quote unquote. unquote. (laughs) Oh, shit. Get out of my head. Never. (laughs) Hiking accidents. So fun. So, so fun. This is why <laughs> we don't dawdle outdoors. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of time spent out there. I mean, I do love the woods and everything, but if it involves me, like, sweating or... I really don't like to sweat. I don't, I don't like that so much. I always like the idea of the out of doors. Mm-hmm. Until I get there. But I don't want to have to set it up. <laughs> There's a lot of sweating. There's bugs. Everybody Ew. smells like bug spray. Yeah. Don't go when it's bug and time. Citronella. We're in Louisiana all the times is bug times. Well, don't. Okay. Go in like fall or spring. Less bugs? Less bugs. No waspuses and spiders and mosquitoes. Um, spiders are year-round, boo-boo. True. In the, yeah, in the woods they are. But mosquitoes, though. Mm-hmm. So you have to they, go. They are sparse. When it's Maybe 20 degrees outside. <laughs> <laughs> Travel up north if you want to go to the out of doors. Don't, don't do that shit here. Yeah. It's so hot. I'm All the so time. tired of it. I'm ready for Halloween. Yeah. All the fall stuff. But anywho. Yeah. Go to the go socials. socials. <laughs> for the pictures, for the hump day treats, for Guess That Cryptid. Mm-hmm. Shenanigans, mind teasers, all the things. All the things. They're good things. I like them. Yeah, do that. While you're at it, if you find us bearable, go rate and review us because we could use that. And if you've been listening to us for all five seasons and you have not done it yet, what are you doing? You obviously like us, right? (laughs) Don't berate the people. Don't parade the people. I'm just saying. Like, we just appreciate take, the... Take a few seconds. That bumps us up, makes it easier for folks to find us. Yeah. So do that. 
And while you're doing that, we're going to enjoy it's Hump, hump Day. <laughs> this Hump Day is brought to you by Amanda. Hey! What do we have? Well, since we're going in the outdoors and we're going hiking this week, theoretically, yeah, not for real, I decided to make us a snackle box. It's a little twist on the charcuterie board. Yep. But it's in a little tackle box and it's got cute little compartments to separate everything. I went to the Walmarts. I did. Don't come at me. But it's fine. Other people like the Walmarts. But I did find some cute little pre-made meat trays kind of put together already. And I got some fruit. So I got crackers and cheeses and turkey and ham and apples and pineapples and grapes. And then I threw some gummy bears and Hershey's (laughs) chocolate bars in there. Because why wouldn't you do that? Because everybody needs sweets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And there was two extra spaces. I mean, I had to fill it up with something. (laughs) (laughs) And then for the wine, I was perusing yesterday in the local thrifty liquor, looking for something on theme, but I decided to go with this pretty little bottle that I found instead because it caught my eye and I kept coming back to it. It is from Oliver Winery and Vineyards. It's a cherry Moscato. It's lovely. Like what? I've I've never even seen that before. So I snatched it up. They have a lemon Moscato, cherry Moscato, and a blueberry Moscato. It's very Might good. Might have to try all three. D- tried the first one today. Yep. I like it. It's kind of like too. juice. It it tastes like juice. Like a um like some kind of cherry grape juice. Like Something almost like, like an yeah. ocean spray mixture. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Because the first sip I had of it, I was like, I have no comparison. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, and it's it's a pr- very pretty uh, rosy color. Yeah. It's it not, really pretty. It's almost like a light amber. Yeah. Because it's more orangey than pink. It really is. All right. Well, well I'm glad we have alcohol because you're getting, well... Mine's not like horrible, horrible, but yours, mine's a little cray. Yours is a lot of cray. So mine is kind of two cases in one. Yes. Ooh, a twofer. A twofer. So it's slightly lengthy, but stick with me. It's totally worth it. We're in this together. Yes, friends. So (laughs) my case is about the death of Tony Hinthorn. Yeah. I'm so excited. Tony and Harold Henthorne were celebrating their 12th wedding anniversary the weekend she died. They were out hiking when Tony lost her balance on a steep cliff in Rocky Mountain National Park on September 29th, 2012, bleeding out on the ground below where she fell. Mm. The couple met online in late 1999, which was kind of early for that. Yeah. And got married only nine months later, both in a rush to start a family. I have a picture of Harold and Tony. Okay. And it's a picture of them doing the out-of-doors stuff. Oh, yeah. That's definitely in the Mm out-of-doors. 
Lots of out of doors there. Yeah, but I mean. It's really pretty though. I would definitely go. They look happy. They do. Look how cute and happy and smiley they are. Yeah. 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 Tony was an eye surgeon and Harold was a wealthy fundraiser for hospitals and churches. After years of trying, they managed to have a daughter, Haley. Bob and Yvonne Bertolet, or Bertolot, Bertolet. Bertolet. I like Bertolet. It sounds fancy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Watched their daughter, Tony, change. At one time, she had been assertive and confident, a former high school athlete with a deep commitment to God and an unwavering belief that she was put on earth to help people heal. Love it. Mm -hmm. She was unlucky in love, but a success just about everywhere else. Then came Harold. Yeah, she sounds like a great person. And then came Harold. Oh, here we go. He had arrived with grand promises, including a claim that he was so rich that Tony would never have to work again. Hey, that wasn't really a concern for the Bertolets. Tony's father, Bob, had become wealthy by making smart bets on pieces of land that turned out to be full of oil. Okay. So he bought a bunch of land and then ding, ding, ding. Good job. What her parents wanted was to see Tony happy. And despite her having the illusion of happiness, a big house, a healthy child, and they were these people, a yearly Christmas card detailing everything that gone right for them that year. But happiness never arrived. Yeah. When people do that, it's always fake. Okay. Yeah. Most of the time. So there's this one podcast that it's an Ashley Flowers podcast. Yeah. It didn't come out last Christmas, so I'm wondering if it was done. But they've had at least two seasons, and it's called It's a Wonderful Lie. Ooh. And it's only out at Christmas time, oh, and yeah. it's about people's ridiculous Christmas cards and newsletters. Yes. It's fabulous. If y'all need something festive to listen to this holiday mm-hmm. season, you mm-hmm. should check that out. It is definitely it good. Is so good. <laughs> so good. Tony's family watched as Harold slowly took control of her life. First, he convinced her to move to Colorado, even though he said he could work from anywhere. Well, narcissists are always fun. Let's, let's follow mm-hmm. them. He didn't see a future in Mississippi where Tony's family and friends lived. Of course not. Even though Harold had money, he refused to travel with Tony to Mississippi. If the Bertolais wanted to see their daughter, they had to go to her, which was a burden for two elderly parents. Then there was Harold's behavior during phone calls. For most of their lives, Tony and her mother, Yvonne, had been best friends. As soon as she moved to Colorado, Tony was no longer able to speak to her mother alone. It just so happened that every time Bob or Yvonne called their daughter, Harold was the one to answer. He would put them on speakerphone and then do a majority of the talking while Tony's voice came in quiet and distant like she was in another room. That's not okay. Uh Uh-uh. Red flags. Yeah. Red, 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 uh, everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) Harold was usually obnoxiously cheery. He was constantly talking, often bragging, and always had to be the center of attention. The Bartolais had accepted those quirks early on. They worked hard at liking the person that made their daughter happy. Now that Harold had taken that daughter away from them and made it almost impossible to talk with her, the quirks became much less charming. Yeah. I, for one, hate super fake, overly cheery people. Same. I can't stand it. Yeah. It makes me want to gag. Mm-hmm. 
The Bertolets hoped life might get better for Tony when Haley was born, but sadly, things only got worse. Mm. Harold's control seemed to extend to their daughter as well. I have a picture of Tony and Haley. Yeah. I did not want to post one with Harold in it because Ew. you'll see why. Well, you probably already see why. He sucks. Yeah, I don't. I, the less of him, the better. But Honestly, Haley's a doll. Oh, precious. She's so cute. Are they at a golf course? It's yes. what it looks like. Yes, yeah. they are. Okay, living that life. Mm-hmm. Well, he's going to the country club today. He's so wealthy. Yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> Their house was probably on the golf course. <laughs> probably so. What am I saying? <laughs> Harold planned every one of that little girl's days and nights. He organized playdates with other parents, told Haley when and what to eat, and made it clear to everyone paying attention that he, not Tony, was in charge. Okay. He refused to allow Tony... This part pisses me off. He refused to allow Tony to help put Haley to bed at night, insisting that the hour or so before Haley fell asleep was his daddy-daughter time. Okay, that's fucking creepy. It's and creepy you're and... you an asshole? No. No. I mean... What the... F- I enjoy... Yes. Being the one to put Ashton to bed because he does talk a little bit as he's falling asleep. Because yeah. I, I lay with him while he falls asleep. And he does talk a little bit about his day. Yeah. And, you know, that's when he asks me lots of random questions. And, exactly. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know, all the I bedtime like that. questions. But if Stephen wants to put him to bed, I'm not going to be like, no, you can't. That's exactly. our time. Like, that's weird. And it just gives it that extra creep factor when it's... I don't know. When you call it daddy-daughter time. Considering the episode we just did. It freaks me out a little bit. Yeah. It's just, it's just I don't know. It's weird. You I don't like sleep it. on the floor beside her bed, too? Ew, ew, ew. I mean, ew. Okay. Even after she'd fallen asleep, Harold found a way to keep his eye on his only child. Okay, no. The Bertolets found it odd that Harold kept a video monitor running in his daughter's room well past infancy. So she was like a kid, and he still had a video monitor in her Mm, room. No, I don't like it. The Bertolets could sense that Tony was unhappy, but felt that there was little they could do about it. She had already suffered through one previous marriage, and her parents knew that her deepening faith and the fact that she and Harold now had a child of their own meant it was unlikely that she would ever choose to divorce him. Yeah. It was hard for the Bertolais not to notice that so much about Harold seemed to not make sense. He insisted to anyone who would listen that he was an in-demand fundraiser who had a large staff and made millions a year. Hmm. Yet every time Tony managed to sneak a look at the couple's finances, she found that their bank accounts weren't nearly as stable as he made them out to be. The Bertolais had also been extra generous to Harold and Tony, gifting them some half million dollars what the for a down payment on their house in colorado (gasps) for cars and new appliances and for anything else the couple needed in the 10 years since they'd married so where was all the money yeah then came the incident at the cabin Mm. harold owned a little house in the mountains west of denver and took tony and Haley there often One night, something happened at the cabin that sent Tony to the hospital. What actually happened was slowly revealed to the Bertolais. They didn't know as soon as it happened. Oh, yeah. Tony didn't tell them. Harold just said, oh, it was nothing, Mrs. B, when Yvonne, you know, was trying to get information from him. It wasn't until Tony came back to Mississippi to visit for the first and only time in a decade without Harold that Yvonne began to worry for Tony's safety. Yeah. 
Definitely. So here's what happened at the cabin. Okay. Cool. Late one night while Haley slept, Harold asked Tony to help him clean up some debris from the outside of the cabin. While she was standing below a raised porch with her back turned, Tony felt the weight of something heavy hit her on the neck and knock her to the ground. She was in horrible pain and had numbness in her fingers when she was taken by ambulance to the ER. She wondered if she would ever be able to operate again because she was a surgeon. Yeah. Afterwards, she discovered what hurt her so badly, a large piece of lumber that Harold said fell off the porch. Okay. If she hadn't moved a millisecond before, it may have landed right on her head, possibly with enough force to kill. Her injuries ended up being her fracturing vertebrae in her neck and back. So that's... Okay. I've heard a little snippet of the cabin thing, but I've never heard it really explained. Okay. Thank you. Welcome. Wow. Yvonne Mm. had spent more than a decade suppressing her intuition about Harold so that her daughter would be spared the consequences. Suffering the consequences meant having to listen to Harold argue and berate until he got what he wanted. Now that Tony was home by herself in Mississippi, Yvonne couldn't take it any longer. So her mom tells her, I don't think that it was an accident at all. I don't either. She told Tony she thought Harold wasn't working as much as he said he was, if at all. She said she believed Harold was living off his first wife's life insurance. (laughs) A death that everyone understood to be the result of a tragic car accident. We'll come back to that later. (laughs) Yeah. Months later, when they got the news that she was dead and that she had died while alone with Harold, her father, Bob, said Tony didn't fall off that cliff. He pushed her. Yeah. Their only daughter was gone. Their grandchild was now in the care of a man they believed to be her killer. And it would be years before they would find justice. (sighs) Harold was determined to take Tony to the park for their anniversary. Boy, was he. He even told an acquaintance that he'd taken six different heights at Rocky Mountain National Park two weeks before to choose the perfect trail and that he'd planned every minute of their trip. Mm -hmm. On September 29th, 2012, the couple set off up Deer Mountain. They hiked two miles, snapping photos along the way. Later that afternoon, Barry Bertolet, Tony's brother, received a text message from Harold. Barry, urgent. Tony is injured in Estes Park. Fall from rock. It was followed shortly by another text that simply read, she's gone. Tony had fallen 140 feet off the side of Deer Mountain. I have a picture of the cliff that I believe is the correct cliff. When I Googled it, I saw two different pictures, but this is the one that came up most often. Okay. So I think that's the cliff. Yeah. I think so, too. That looks like it. I mean, News 4 says. Right, yeah. (laughs) News 4 says that's the one. If they say it's the one, then Mm -hmm. it's the one. We're going to believe News 4 today. Mm Mm-hmm. Tony's family was devastated. How had this happened? According to Barry, Harold first told him that Tony couldn't keep up on the hike. When he turned around and realized she was no longer behind him, he said he started searching for her and spotted her body at the bottom of the cliff. Mm-hmm. Wait, then yeah. Harold's story changed. He claimed he received a text message and Tony fell as he looked down to read it, so he didn't see exactly what what had happened. Mm-hmm. Later, Harold claimed Tony had been taking a photo of him when she accidentally stepped backward off the cliff. That's like something in a cartoon. Are Uh you kidding? 
And in a fourth version of the story, Harold reportedly said that he was checking Tony's cell phone for calls from her office when she fell. However, Tony's co-workers say her phone was in the office the whole time, and Harold had come by two days after Tony's death to collect it. You fucking retard. I mean, I'm, I'm glad he's a retard, yeah. but, you know, oh but my still. God. Harold Henthorne's constantly changing story raised suspicions, and investigators began taking a closer look into Tony's accidental death. Mm-hmm. Just days after Tony's death, detectives discovered a suspicious map in Harold <laughs> Henthorne's vehicle. That's kills me. It was a map of Rocky Mountain National Park, and the Deer Mountain Trail that Harold and Tony had hiked was highlighted in pink. <laughs> This didn't seem too odd on its own because, I mean, he yeah. had spent time mapping out every, you know, every spot they were going to be at, right? Yeah. However, <laughs> there was also an X scribbled near the very spot where Tony had fallen to her death. <laughs> Harold was reportedly at a loss for words when detectives confronted him with the map. Maybe throw the map away. <laughs> maybe not draw maybe. on the fucking map. <laughs> maybe not put an X there. Oh, my God. X marks the spot. You dumbass. <laughs> he then claimed that it wasn't for the anniversary trip, but rather a map he made for his nephew. However, police weren't buying his story. You see, this wasn't the first time Harold suspiciously lost a wife. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and here's that tale. Let me take a drink first. Yes. <laughs> You're going to need one. Y'all might need one, too. Because this dude... He's cuckoo fucking bananas, ma'am. I just can't. All right. Okay. In 1995, a woman died on the side of a dark road on a cold night. She was killed while trying to change a flat tire when the car she was underneath fell on top of her, thousands of pounds of metal pinning her to the ground. The only witness to the accident was her husband. Harold Henthorne talked to many different members of the law enforcement on May 6, 1995, the night his wife Lynn died after being crushed underneath their Jeep Cherokee. I have a picture of Harold and Lynn together. I don't like looking at him. I know. Lynn's cute as a button, though. Lynn is super cute. But you know, you know that grass, what's that called? Pompous grass or whatever? Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> it's everywhere. I hate it so much. What? And you just, it, well, it's ugly. And <laughs> you just know that that's like a hotbed for spiders. Mm. It just looks like a place spiders would reside. And I'm not here for that. There could be all kinds of things in there now that you say that. Thanks for that image. All the bugs. Yeah. No thanks, please. No, I'm good. In the wake of Tony's death, law enforcement delved back into Lynn's suspicious death. Reading through the file 18 years later, Detective Dave Weaver realized something which would later come out in court testimony from his superiors. That in almost every one of those conversations, Harold made a statement that conflicted with something else he'd already said. Good job, Dave. Mm. To one cop, Harold said that they were driving east. To another, he said west. That's totally different direction right there, buddy. For sure. To one cop, Harold said he and Lynn ate dinner at a nearby restaurant just before the accident. To another, he said they were on their way to the restaurant. To one cop, Harold said he and Lynn left their house to go on the drive around 1 p.m. 
To another, he said seven. <laughs> to one cop, Harold said the tire they pulled over to change was completely flat. To another, he said it was merely spongy. To one cop, Harold said that he jacked up the fallen car and pulled Lynn out from underneath it in a desperate attempt to save her life. To another, he said it wasn't him. Lynn was actually rescued by a random group of helpful strangers. Buddy, get your story straight. That's uh, but, too many variations. Oh, but wait, there's more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Keep going. There were other inconsistencies, too. Okay. Harold couldn't account for how the SUV fell off not one, but the two jacks he said he'd used to prop it up. (laughs) To some people, he said the Jeep fell when he threw the flat tire into the open hatch in the back. To others, he said the flat tire actually bounced out. It was the spare, which he said he loosened, that fell and provided the impact necessary to jolt the Jeep off its moorings and crush his wife. No. According to the testimony later given at a trial, instead of learning for themselves how much money Harold was due to receive from his wife's life insurance, Douglas County's detectives took his word for it that the payout was $300,000, a large amount considering his wife's modest social worker salary of 14000 a year. Holy shit! What? Had they checked, they would have found that Harold actually received twice that much. Okay. They also would have discovered that the amount was so high because Harold had changed the policy. Oh, did he? Shortly before her death, the change Harold made allowed for double the compensation if Lynn died as a result of an accident. How convenient. Detective Weaver further discovered that the department was severely undertrained. The man in charge of the investigation had been a detective for all of five months, had never been the lead on any homicide, and had never undergone any formal training before becoming a detective. What the fuck is he doing in that position? It was such a small town at the time that they literally only had five detectives on the payroll in the first place. Okay. I get it now. Damn. That sucks, though. (laughs) Yeah. The detective would later testify to this in court. Within less than a week, Douglas County's coroner declared Lynn Henthorne's death an accident. All of Lynn's belongings, along with the Jeep, were returned to Harold. The Jeep was then salvaged. Salvaged. (laughs) Yeah. No physical evidence remained. So they had nothing. Yeah. But there was something else. Buried inside the report, Detective Weaver found a reference to a footprint. The lead investigator made mention of a partial print on the wheel well above the missing tire, the same one that Lynn had supposedly been trying to help change when she was killed. According to the file, the investigators noted the brand of shoes Harold was wearing at the time, Sperry Topsiders, (laughs) and took pictures of the tread. But... (laughs) You remember Sperry's? My kid wears them. They're still a thing? Yeah. Oh, that's so cute. He looks like a little prepster. It's adorable. Oh, my gosh. My kids love them. Yep. Ashton has two pairs. He has um, a tan pair and like a navy blue pair. Hell, yes. Bailey had like a pink and plaid pair or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) But as the lead investigator would later testify to in court, they'd never check the print against the shoes to see if they were a match. 
Yeah, and I don't really know why they wouldn't. Well, they didn't check a lot of things. Like during her autopsy, they didn't check the contents of her stomach to see if either of the restaurant stories were true. Like they, Mm -hmm. poor detective man. took his word for it. Poor detective man didn't know enough. Mm -hmm. And Harold was the grieving widow. So it was all stupid. Unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. A partial footprint wasn't necessarily evidence of anything, but given the inconsistencies in Harold's story, plus the inaccurate life insurance figure he shared, along with the fact that no one could explain exactly how the Jeep had fallen in the first place, Mm -hmm. its existence pointed to an alternative explanation. Harold had kicked the car and killed his wife on purpose. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Mm Mm-hmm. There was something else, too, buried inside the file. Oh, yeah, we're not done. (laughs) Yes. Detective Weaver discovered that there were multiple witnesses to the accident's aftermath who were never contacted. (laughs) The file contained a note from a woman named Patricia Montoya who called the day after the accident with a question. Did you arrest the husband yet? She asked. Your radar should go off if somebody's Mm -hmm. randomly calling in asking that. Okay. Well, I mean, her calling in was not random. I'm about to tell you who she is. Oh, well, just somebody asking that, period. Yeah. (laughs) Just, okay. Patricia and her family had been driving home that night from a day of fishing and picnicking when Harold appeared in the glow of their car's headlights and waved them down. They were the first people to witness his incredibly odd behavior the evening his first wife died. Yeah. I have a picture of the Jeep, like the crime scene of the Jeep. Um, (gasps) Oh! So you can see what Patricia saw. Okay. Oh my God. When she pulled up. Oh God. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know who drove a Jeep almost exactly like that? Who? My friend Matt. Hi, Matthew. Hey, Matt. And. Oh, wait. <laughs> that Jeep lived for almost ever. Is that the pumpkin Jeep? That's the pumpkin Jeep. Hey. That's a story for another day. <laughs> You've told that story. Did I? You did. I told it on on here? Yes. Oh, my. Yeah, that's the pumpkin Jeep. <laughs> for those of you that remember that. Surely the statute of limitations is, is over with now. I'm going to say, well, I don't know. It was only a few years ago. That wasn't a few years ago. I mean, we can pretend it was a few years ago. <laughs> well, you're, you're 22, 21. Yeah. So it was. So it was last year. <laughs> That was, that activity was accomplished when I was 20. All right. So (laughs) for some reason, though, it was clear that Lynn needed their help, the Montoya's help. Yes. Harold yelled at them when they dragged Lynn's unconscious body out from underneath the Jeep. He then let them take the lead when it came time to give her CPR. And strangest of all, from Patricia's perspective that was a lot of peace yeah harold refused to hand over the coat he was wearing patricia wanted to cover his wife with something warm the spring night was cold and lynn was only wearing a t-shirt patricia eventually got so fed up with the fact that harold wouldn't help warm up his freezing near-death wife that she used her own coat and left it at the scene when she and her family realized the police were almost there I did not know all of that detail. That was the whole reason why Patricia called the police station in the first place is she was calling to see when she could get her coat back. Oh. And they told okay. her that Lynn had passed away and she was like, well, did you arrest her? I got gotcha. her husband. Okay, so I yeah, I know that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Good job. 
When Detective Weaver called her nearly 20 years later and asked if she had any idea why an officer from Douglas County might be calling out of the blue, Patricia's answer came back quick and definitive. That woman on the mountain, she said. Wow. Lynn's death and Harold's behavior were still the creepiest thing she's ever seen. Okay, then I'm going to say it was a definite creepy moment for it to stick with her that long. And Mm -hmm. she knew exactly why they were calling. Yeah. Okay. Detective Weaver heard something similar from Rebecca Roberts. She was a volunteer with the West Douglas County Fire Department who arrived on the scene shortly after Patricia left. By the time Detective Weaver called Rebecca, she had been promoted all the way up to chief of the department, go queen. Oh, Rebecca. And had witnessed more deaths than she cared to count. Mm -hmm. She told Detective Weaver that she had been at the accident scenes where family members of victims were crying, screaming, and in some cases so emotional they punched her. What? Harold, in contrast to all of those grieving families, had been calm. After a career's worth of experience, Rebecca told Detective Weaver that she could confidently say the accident scene that took Lynn's life and the behavior of her husband were the most unusual she had ever come across. Okay. Since Harold was treated from the start as a victim, not a suspect, and since his wife's death was treated as an accident, not a deliberate murder, clues that would have appeared to others as red flags had no discernible hue at all. The Douglas County coroner had ruled Lynn's death as accidental. Lynn Henthorne's death was a tragedy, not a crime. Harold Henthorne was a grieving widower. Case closed. Yeah, no. No. I mean, that's what they thought at I the know, time. That's what they did then, but no. But no. There's more. So, Detective Weaver, coming in, being the hero, found a Jeep Cherokee similar to the one that fell on Lynn and went about trying to recreate the scenario that killed her. Yes. He rested the car on the same type of jacks Harold said he'd used in the same spot on the same road where Lynn died. Yes. Then he tried to get the car to fall. He tossed the flap in the back as Harold had said he'd done in his version of the story. When that didn't work, he threw it a little harder and then harder. He slammed the tailgate. He took away one jack and ran through the whole scenario again. Nothing budged the car. Yeah. Finally, Detective Weaver took his foot and, in the same place where the original partial print was found, kicked the Jeep. Only then did it come crashing down. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Busted. Detective Weaver now had no doubts. I know he killed her, he says. The only question was whether Harold Henthorne would ever face any consequences, not only for the death of the wife he'd just lost, but for the one who died so many years before. Mm Mm-hmm. Harold Henthorne was convicted of killing his second wife, Tony, in 2012. He has always maintained his innocence. He later went before a federal judge arguing his conviction should be overturned because his trial attorney did a poor job and, quote-unquote, sold me down the river. Boo-hoo, blah. The Henthorns claimed Harold's previous attorney, Craig Truman, disregarded his most basic obligations to Harold and everyone else impacted by this tragedy. Rob Henthorne, Harold's brother, went on to say that expert witnesses said his lawyer failed to act in a manner required to defend Harold, help ensure truth and justice prevailed, and honor his obligations to all of us. Are you stupid or something? (laughs) Sir. Sir, he's guilty. Your brother (laughs) killed two people. The truth and justice is that your brother is guilty. And, And he's an asshole. 
He was He's not defendable. No, there's <laughs> nothing to defend. Mm-mm. He bit it. Harold Henthorne said he paid Truman more than one million for his defense. Rob Henthorne said, no one aside from my brother will ever know with certainty what happened on that cliff in Rocky Mountain National Park 10 years ago. Harold insists he would never and did not ever attempt to kill his wife. He deserves a defense that will give each of us and our community the best opportunity to know the truth. (laughs) Bullshit. Harold Henthorne is serving a life sentence for the murder of Tony Henthorne at a federal prison in Terre Haute. Some town that's hard to pronounce, Indiana. (laughs) In Indiana. (laughs) The end. (laughs) So good. Such a good case. I just realized one little tiny detail that I cut out and probably shouldn't have was that Tony's mother was right as far as him working. Oh, was she? He was living off the life insurance. He hadn't worked in almost 20 years. He stretched out $600,000. Over that long? hmm I mean, it was, the ni- it was the 90s. It was the 90s, but still, that's pretty good. Well, and then when he met Tony, they got married in nine months before she could realize, you oh, know, yeah. all his lies. And then her parents and, gave and them so all that he money. Went to their money. Mm-hmm. So it didn't. Oh, my God. Yeah, he sucks ass. He sucks major ass. I need a drink. Mm. You have one in your hand, dear. No, I know. Thank God. Now I'm going to eat some Snackle Box. All right. Well, for mine, um, I went in a little bit of a different direction. Okay. Mine is actually a hiking accident. Okay. But it's horrible. Great. And But not, not triggers. And I don't even have any gross photos. Yeah, well, good. Yeah. So it, it should be relatively PG-13. Nice. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) My case is about Sarah Holfers, a 20-year-old who was fatally scalded in a Yellowstone National Park hot spring is remembered as a spirited woman who loved life but was not afraid to die. That's a quote. She lit up a damn room. We have learned... We recently made a post about this. We've learned you don't ever want to light up a fucking room. Don't light up a room. Stand in the darkness with me, my friends. Yes, it's better in the shadows. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So we all know about Yellowstone, right? Mm -hmm. You should by now. It's where Yogi Bear lives. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Hey, Mm boo-boo. Hey, boo-boo. You want a picnic basket? There you go. Yeah. We got a picnic basket. We got a picnic basket. Okay. A little bit of detail about some little happenings they have going on over there. Yellowstone is home to many amazing geothermal features, Old Faithful, rainbow-hued hot springs, and boiling mud pots. Okay. That's weird. Yeah. I'm here for the rainbow-hued hot springs. Oh, they're gorgeous. Uh, You don't want to go in it, though. Well, no. I'm going to tell you why. Many of these have a neutral or basic pH of greater than 7, but some are extremely acidic, as low as a pH of 2. That's bad. Okay. That's bad. We don't like that. Normal should be around, like, 10. Okay. 7 is the bestest. Okay. All right. Yellowstone National Park sits over a volcanic, volcanic, that word, hot spot. Okay. 
And is the geological active and the geological activity superheats rainwater that has percolated deep underground. While underground, the water can pick up a variety of volcano-related chemicals like hydrogen sulfide and carbon dioxide. And when they all mix together, it doesn't make something good. Okay. It's bad. That's lots of science-y words. It is a lot of science-y words, but... Um, I don't know science-y. I, I know a little bit. But I'll listen to you tell me some I kind of, I kind of compiled it into a synopsis. I gotcha. tried. As the water rises back up to the surface, heat-tolerant microbes can convert hydrogen sulfide um, to sulfuric acid. Okay? Okay. Acid's bad. Okay. That plus dissolved carbon dioxide contributes to the acidic pH of some of Yellowstone's hot springs and steam vents. And these vents, like, run all underneath Yellowstone. It's what heats it up. I mean, okay. It's, it's, it's on a volcano, you know. Yeah. This is um, not making me want to go to Yellowstone. Not really. Um, <laughs> you know, I've always thought, oh, it's so beautiful. It would be great to go see, but um, it's kind of dangerous. <laughs> I don't want to get burnt up. No. I don't want to get eaten by a bear. No. I don't want to share my picnic basket. Not at all. So I don't know I'm that I want to go there. when it comes to my food. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of walking. <sighs> so much walking. A lot of walking. Okay, so in other areas of the park, the volcanic gases that contribute to the acidity can vaporize when the rising water boils. This means that the water reaches the surface at a neutral or basic pH of 8 to 10, and that's safe. Okay. So you can go swimming in some of it. Oh, no. I'm not going swimming there. But it's crucial to heed warnings and stay on trails at Yellowstone because you can't tell which pools are deadly, hot just by looking at them, and they're everywhere. So I have a little map. Okay. And if you can zoom in on it, it has a little guide down there that tells you what all the little colored spots mean. Mm-hmm. And it shows you how many thermal pools there are of each type. They're everywhere. It's it. I mean, damn, stay on the path. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, the area that we're going to focus on is around Old Faithful. In the lower geyser basin. Oh, okay. I found it. On the left-hand side? Yeah. So that's kind of the the area that I'm going to be talking about. Gotcha. Give you a little idea. And I did grab a picture of some of the thermal pools. If you just want to take a look at them, they're beautiful. First one is the acid sulfate steam one. That's so beautiful and pretty. Mm -hmm. Recently, a man did fall in. Back in 2022, I think. And all that was left of him was his foot. Everything was dissolved. Don't ever go there, Simba. It was dissolved. The second one is the alkaline chloride one, and that's the stuff. um, It doesn't even look like a pool. Well, that's the runoff from Old Faithful. It hardens up. Okay. And then the third one is the calcium carbonate one, which is kind of cool. It looks like a bunch of sugar cubes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't don't go in it, though. And then the last one I found. It looks like Minecraft world. It does. You're right. (laughs) You poor baby. I know. That's all my life's about right now. Asher went from Minecraft to Roblox. So just be ready for that. Okay. And then the last one is the sulfur mud pot. And can you imagine how nasty that smells? (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't. Mm-mm. Yeah. This is not making me want to go to Yellowstone. Thank you. I'm like, I just, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure about this anymore. I'll look at the pictures. Less chance of my face getting burnt off. If you do, like I said, just stay on the paths. Don't don't wander off. Don't don't risk this because if you do, this might happen to you. Mhm. So Sarah Sulfers died about 14 hours after she and two 18-year-old boys fell into the 178-degree thermal pool on oh. August 21st of 2000. My fuck. Yuvia Storm, 21 at the time, said she and Sarah were having the time of their lives working at Yellowstone for the summer, camping, hiking, and making new friends. Yellowstone has dormitories placed throughout the park for employees to stay in while they work. So she got really close with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. She was it's like going to summer camp for growing yeah, up. Yeah, in Yellowstone. I mean, if I was young, I might venture off because I was fearless and didn't realize the dangers that yeah. lurk everywhere. Uh, Storm said she was so happy. Sarah had talked about death and the prospect of an afterlife. She told me I had to be the one to spread the word. She was excited about death. She said, tell them I had a wonderful life. No regrets. Okay. Well, you know, you get into some deep conversations late at night and that's weird, bro. I know. I have put you in charge of my uh, death plan. I mean, that's true. We have talked about this. People do talk about weird shit. So, after her death, about 300 people filled the Orville High School Auditorium to pay their respects. The room was decorated with sunflowers and evergreen boughs. The cascade of rainbow-colored ribbons was draped over the doorway. Her father, Dan, who lives in nearby Molson, sang two songs he had written in his daughter's memory. As he played the guitar and sang softly with two friends, many people sobbed. I would have sobbed. Can't hold it on that one. A two-week-old picture of Sarah at Yellowstone showing a young woman with a broad smile, dark hair tumbling down her back, her arms wide open, and the Rocky Mountains as a backdrop was printed on the memorial program. It's a really pretty picture. I didn't put that one in here. (laughs) I'll add it to it. Okay. It's just her standing like this. But here's a picture of Sarah. Little cutie patootie. With her beautiful dark hair. Yeah. And a lovely smile. I know. She she does look happy. She does kind of light up a room. She's, mm-hmm. she's got a gorgeous smile. She said it was the most wonderful experience she'd had in her whole life. Her dad said in an interview before the service, everyone she worked with liked her. She said she never felt so loved. Sarah was a graduate, a 1998 graduate of Orville High. She was a student at Western Washington University in Bellingham. She was studying science, math, and languages. That's a lot of shit. That's a lot. She loves Spanish, Mexico, and Spanish-speaking people. (laughs) It's a quote, okay? All right. (laughs) Her father recalled, she wanted to do something with the environment. Sarah was a straight-A student, and her family just learned a couple of days before that she had won a new scholarship. Oh, my goodness. It was kind of heartbreaking, her father said. She liked to dance and sing. She made friends wherever she went. What's that life like? I don't <laughs> I don't know. Huh. I can make acquaintances, but not like let's be besties. I can't make friends. Well, you made one. Meh. What? <laughs> I forced you to like me. Kind of. Kind of. 
He didn't have much of a choice. Not really, but I'm okay with it. Okay, good. Got a good Stockholm thing going here. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this sounds so terrible. It's not true. It's not true. <laughs> Um, about 100 people gathered at their home to celebrate her life, including 30 or 40 new friends from Yellowstone. She was such a loving person. We had no idea how much effect she had on the people around her. You get the hint that she was like lighting up the damn room. Mm -hmm. And I'm just looking at that, including 30 or 40 new friends. Yeah. For me, it'd be like one or two. (laughs) 30 or 40. No. I can't even think of 30 or 40 people that I, like, truly like. No. I mean, no offense to anybody out there, but maybe 10. Like, to call a friend? A friend? Friend? Five. I got five. Six. I'm not. That's depressing. I'm not even going to go there. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. So, Storm and her father and Sarah and her friends, Lance Bucci. Nice. (laughs) Of Sandy, Utah. And Tyler Montague. Rest in peace. He has since passed away. He passed away in 2020. When I was looking up his photo, I was like, oh, it says in memory of. What the hell? That's so sad. So, I don't know what he passed away from, but it wasn't from this. Okay. Um, they were on their way back from swimming in the Firehole River on the night of August 21st. I have a picture of Tyler and Lance. Okay. And why would you go swimming in the Firehole River? A lot of people did, actually. It was a very popular swimming hole. There's a waterfall down there. It's it's a very popular hangout. It's kind of a hike. There's a parking lot you can park in, obviously, because it's a parking lot. And... Go through a little trail through the woods and everything, and you come out to this and okay. have a picture of the Firehole River. Who is who on the people? And which is which? there's Lance on the left and Tyler on the right. And those are actually recent photos. I couldn't find old photos. Well, that couldn't well, be too were, recent if he's dead. Well, that one was from 2020. He passed away in July of 2020. Okay. But there they is. Lance and Tyler. Okay, the river's pretty. It is beautiful. I would, but I want to go. Looks dirty, and I wouldn't get in it. Are you? No, you can see straight to the bottom. I see brown. It's about ten feet deep. It looks brown. I mean, it's got some grass and stuff in there. That's probably why. Yeah, I'm not getting in there. <laughs> it looks brown. Well, there's other parts that are deeper, like down by the water hole. That doesn't make me want to go in it. To. It being I'm deeper, just, <laughs> <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> would it? No. Uh-uh. So they 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 swam all day and it started getting dark. So they were all like, "Okay, we should probably head back." On the way back, there's the the route that they take. They're used to jumping over little puddles and maybe you know some steam vents that are not dangerous and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So they were jumping over a number of these little streams um, along the way home, and the three of them were walking arm in arm. When they jumped over what they believed was a small stream and plunged accidentally through the earthen crust around a hot spring in the lower geyser basin. Oh, my God. Oh, it's so sad. It's so sad. So the two boys jumped over first. Mm -hmm. She was a little bit behind them, but they all kind of jumped at the same time. Gotcha. They didn't make it all the way over. 
they got partially burned and she went in like all the way over her head. Mm-hmm. She didn't make it all the way across. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, I have a picture of the lower geyser basin. Well, there's steam everywhere. There's steam everywhere. And you can see there's a boardwalk. That's what you need to stay on. You mm-hmm. you should walk on that. Not not like just, you know. Because the earth can just crumble beneath you. Yes, it can. Oh, it very much can. It's awful. I don't like that. It's pretty. But stay on the boardwalk. And then I also have a picture of the of Cavern Spring, which is the one that they tried to jump over. They tried to jump over that? Yeah. Why they thought that they could jump over that, I'm not really sure. And it was dark. So, like, they said that they had thought about trying to go around it, but it, it must have been up higher because they couldn't. So they decided to try to jump over that. Okay. It was a big jump. Uh, yeah, no human can you know, jump they, over they that. They kind of had to work up to it and gain some momentum. And No human can jump that. Y'all are crazy. Or maybe more has broken off and has made it wider. Maybe, maybe. So, like I said, the two boys were able to get out. And they pulled, all the friends came rushing because the boys started screaming. They were all screaming. Of course. Sarah was still alive. They pulled, all her friends pulled her out, but she did died the next day in the burn unit at Salt Lake City Hospital with third-degree burns over her entire body. <sighs> you see now why um, the girl that I did last week, the one that got burned by her boyfriend, mm-hmm. why it was so rare for her to live that long. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is what typically Stop happens. Stop picking burning stuff. Now I'm I like... I didn't mean to! <laughs> my skin is crawling. That is my fear, and you're making me face it. Well, I'm not showing you pictures. Thank you. You're welcome. I tried to find a picture, but I couldn't. <laughs> of course you did. Of course I did. Here, Brittany, here's your deathly fear of fire. No, Let me show honestly, you skin melting see, off of faces. I wanted to see if an acid, like what an acid burn looked like with that much instead of a fire burn. I wanted to compare. It was the science of it. I wasn't looking at it. I would like assume gruesome. it would be similar. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's burn. A burn is a burn. Yeah. Maybe less charry looking. Mm-hmm. More, uh, okay, uh, I'm done. No. I'm done. Yeah, we're done. <sighs> Tyler and Lance were so were also badly burned, and they remained in critical but stable condition at the University of U- Utah Burn Center. They were able to recover fully, but they did have a lot of bills that racked up. Mm-hmm. You know, medical stuff is expensive. They did file a lawsuit against Yellowstone. Because they said that there weren't any warning signs. But it was tossed out because Yellowstone said <laughs> they decided to go that way on their own. To go off the trail. So, they, yeah. you know, there is a provided trail. And you you work there. And you work there, so you kind of knew better. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, but Storm's mother, Kay McDonald, says um, she urged Sarah's friends to spread the kind joy in the world that the young woman did. The end. Well, that was awful. That was awful. Short and not really sweet. But, it was not sweet. But crazy. I was like, I am never going to um, go to a strange body of water ever again. And I'm not going to Yellowstone. <laughs> I'm definitely not going to Yellowstone. 
Um, I'm good. I'm not doing that. Mm-mm. So there's our cases. That was <laughs> crazy. You're welcome. It's what I do. <laughs> Ugh. I know. I think I'd rather get pushed off the cliff than be burnt. I think so, too. The cliff would be maybe less painful. You have a few seconds of free fall. Yeah. She did hit a bunch of stuff on the way down, though, because I remember them saying... How um, when they went back and looked at it and they saw all the tree damage and stuff, they're like, "Yeah, this this is okay." I don't want to hit the trees. Yeah, I just want to fall into a splat. That sounds awful. <laughs> it does sound awful, but I get it. <laughs> I would I rather. Get I'm it. just saying, like, I would no rather collateral damage on the way down. <laughs> I would rather do that instead of burn alive mm-hmm. by fire or acid. Yeah, no burning. Please and thank you. Yeah, this is gross. I'm done. Let's let's do some other stuff. Okay. It's uh it's trivia time. Guess that cryptid. Let's do some trivia. Yeah. I have a new clue. Are you ready for clue number three? My TV host voice. Clue number three for cryptid number one is it's said to drink the blood of livestock. One more game. Okay. It is said to drink the blood of livestock. Hmm. All right. That's, that's three now. Make sure you keep up with them. Keep up with your clues. Send us a message if you want to guess. Remember, only one guess per cryptid. So guess wisely. Mm-hmm. We've had a few guesses. None were correct. Not yet. So y'all are going to have to wait for the next cryptid. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling there's going to be another one pretty soon. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. You might get it on this one. We'll see. So go check that out. Yep. G- get to researching. That's and- my best advice. Because I'm not giving you any more hints. Nope. That's it. That's all you get. One a week. Mm-hmm. That's all we can come up with. <laughs> For, <laughs> For one <real>. a week. <laughs> all right, friends. We'll see. No, we won't see no, you, no, but we'll we talk to you, you next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook and Instagram for episode picks and announcements. Please rate and review on Apple, Spotify, and Facebook. We want to give a huge shout out to Stephen Goetzky for editing, Greg Cleaver for music, and our very own Amanda Hagens for art. We'll talk at you next week.